Hi everyone from Impact Alpha Media. This is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live on tape from New York, I'm Brian Wolf, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. With me, as always, is Imogen Rose Smith, who is a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us by the magic of podcast podcast technology, Impact Alpha Editor-in-Chief David Bank comes to us from the Bay Area. Hi, David. Hey, you guys. Great to be back. Good to be with you. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the big news in Impact Land recently. That's the Ford Foundation, the second largest foundation in the U.S., with a $12 billion endowment, announced that it is committing $1 billion out of that endowment towards Impact. Now, David, set this up for us. What exactly is this commitment, and why is it such a big deal? Okay, the president of the Ford Foundation, Darren Walker, has been working on this for quite a while, since he arrived there in 2014, I believe. What they've done is they've said that from the endowment side, the $12 billion, as you said, they are going to have a mandate of $1 billion over 10 years. So each year, the trustees will set a number uh, of the amount of this fund, effectively. This will be allocated towards impact investing that year. Now, what they've said is they're going to invest in funds, not directly into ventures, but into funds dealing with uh, income inequality in the U.S., namely in affordable housing and also economic inclusion abroad, uh, including you know financial inclusion in, in the banking system. And uh, there will be others, uh, uh, themes that they will invest in over time, but those are two that they thought they had some expertise in. So what's the big deal about it is that this is money from the endowment side, not just the grant side. That's, that's the, the line that has now been crossed. Others have crossed it before, but Ford's billion-dollar mandate is the largest to date. Now, Imogen, you usually provide a healthy dose of skepticism on the show. So what's your take on the Ford announcement? So I want to preface this by saying that I think there are some really strong things to this announcement. You know, a billion dollar commitment to impact investing is a big deal. It's a huge deal for the impact community. You know, you could argue that doing it over 10 years is too long a time frame. Darren Walker has made it very clear that this is, you know, that's the 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 lowest expectation, his hope is that they will do more money and they will do it over more time. The 10-year time horizon just gives them time to find, make sure they're finding the best investments. Um, you know, I think a lot of thought went into this process. And I, you know, I commend them for this idea of saying, you know, okay, where do we have expertise? Where do we also think that there are financial returns? And that's why they singled out housing and economic inclusion. My fundamental problem with this is that this is not about getting the investment office to commit to impact investing or, you know, taking the step back to sort of commit to this notion that issues like housing, inequality, what we in sort of institutional investor land would call ESG, right, environment, social responsibility, corporate governance. This isn't, you know, if the big picture argument is that these are issues that investors should be caring about, not just because it's a good thing to do, but because over the long term, it's going to result in better, more sustainable returns. This didn't do that at all. Instead, what this did is it's basically a land grab by the programming office into the endowment. So from an investor standpoint, the Ford Foundation now has an $11 billion endowment, 
and a $1 billion carve-out to impact investing. And Darren Walker made a big deal. We were all there at the Mission Investor Exchange Conference um, about sort of, you know, the need to sort of tear down the walls between the investment office and the grant-giving side. I don't think this does this at all. I think it potentially does the opposite because you're not entering into that conversation. Instead, you're just taking money away from the endowment people. And the guys running the money, and this is really, really important, they don't report to the chief investment officer. They report to the chief programming officer. So, Davis, walk, walk us through how foundations are typically structured, where you have a program staff that manages the grant-making portfolio, and then you have an investment staff that manages the endowment. And how, how does this announcement, as, as Imogen says, how does it kind of play into those existing structures, and how does it maybe question or challenge those existing structures? Well... Okay, just as a bit of background, there is, as you say, an investment office. It's run like any big institutional investment office, um, and it's dedicated to, to getting the highest returns, you know, risk-adjusted returns, um, just like a, a, a good investment manager. In, in general, that investment, that corpus, that endowment is required to pay out, so to speak, 5% a year in charitable grants. There's other things included in that, including a lot of operating expenses, but to pay out some small percentage for its charitable purpose. Now, everybody should re remember that the money is tax-advantaged money in the first place. So it was given a, given to a foundation by somebody, the original benefactor, and presumably because they're high net worth people, a, a maximum you know tax deduction of it allowable was taken for that money. So it's already charitable money, but yet only 5% of it is actually going to the charitable side. So that's the background, and that's you know what everybody should understand. What Darren did is say you know we should take more of the money, just like just like Imogen said, we should take more of the money and dedicate it to that thing that we're actually, you know, that is actually our mission, our actually our social mission, and we should not only dedicate the five percent to it, we should dedicate more of the ninety-five percent to it. That is the basic proposition. Imogen, I believe, is making a very valid point about what this means about the markets themselves, but I think you have to take it at least at the first instance from the heroic efforts of Darren Walker to budge his trustees. If you listen back to that speech that Imogen was mentioning from a year ago, he was a little more, uh, and I've heard him subsequently, a little more um, um, combative with his own trustees than a foundation president, you know, is usually, you know, has the guts to do. Um, so I, I, I don't know the, the, the background story, but I'm, I'm sure there was a big battle even to get this far. My, my critique would be the opposite of Imogen's, which is, you know, this is, you know, late coming. This is too, too, this is very small amount of money. If even if you divide the billion over equally 100 million a year is not a large commitment of a of major philanthropic money towards the scale of the challenges that we have to meet. So I think much more of the foundation endowments should be dedicated to impact because it was <laughs> dedicated to impact when the charitable contribution was made. David, in a sense, though, you're agreeing with me, right? Your point is that in order to solve the world's problems, the Ford needs to commit not a billion dollars, they need to commit $12 billion. My point is, is the only way you commit those $12 billion is if you get buy-in from your investment stuff. And, you know, I think it's a shame because, I mean, again, I, I really respect Darren Walker for doing this, and it's, it's not a, it's, it's a huge challenge that he had to bring those trustees on board and get the billion-dollar commitment. But without forcing the broader conversation, 
you're not going to get, we're not going to get the economy we need if large institutional asset owners sit on the sidelines. And I would argue that this is further sidelining the large institutional asset owners, not bringing them over into the impact conversation. How is it, how is it sidelining them? Because you're saying these guys are going to run, they're, they're not even divested from fossil fuels at the Ford Foundation. So they have some screens, but they don't, they don't take these factors into consideration. So you're like, these guys are going to run their $11 billion, however they're going to run it. We're Just not to going maximize to with financial that. returns, yeah. uh, risk adjusted financial returns with no consideration for the environmental, social, uh, or other impacts of those investments. Unless they independently think there is some reason to, say, express concern around stranded carbon risk. But we're not going to, we are not going to, rightfully so, arguably, we are not going to dictate what those guys should be looking at. However, we're going to take our little billion dollars carve out over here, and we're going to invest it however we think prudently with an eye to, and this is the difference with financial returns as well as impact. But look, I mean, it's not even, how is that an asset allocation? Like, how is that an asset allocation conversation to be like, oh, here's our $1 billion and here's our $12 billion. It's not a financial conversation. And I think that's a really missed opportunity. And frankly, it suggests that like the foundations aren't going to be the guys to lead the sustainable investment conversation. So you're saying that it's it's that Ford's opportunity here is not to be a leader among philanthropists, but to be a leader among asset managers in general, institutional investors in general, and, and to say, with this $12 billion that we are responsibly investing, and that we are being prudent uh, uh, stewards of this capital, but we're going to invest it in a way that aligns to our values as an institution while generating uh, compelling financial returns and measurable social and environmental impacts that we can point to and demonstrate to other large-scale institutional investors that you can, you, can, you can take this approach, you can take uh, this conceptual approach towards impact uh, and towards investing, and you can, be, uh, you can, you can meet your obligations and, and have some and great it's, wins. It's more than that, right? It's like that this is a better way to invest. And that if we are long-term asset owners and this is going to be a sustainable future, then we need to consider all of these things. They didn't, I mean, you know, and a lot of conversations went into this. And, you know, I'm sure they looked at a lot of these issues. But by not setting it up that way, they are failing to participate in that conversation. I think that maybe it sets up that conversation might be the glass half full way to look at this, which is that as they as they pursue this, they quickly find the limits of this and and thoughtful critiques like yours, you know, you know, get you know the second wave of stories after the first blush of enthusiasm, and um, I would say that it that I do agree with you that it sets this up as a uh, you know a market rate competition, not a effective uh, uh, use of, of, of assets uh, for mission discussion, actually. So, because you can't, you're not going to appreciably uh, advance for Ford's mission with $100 million of private equity fund investments every year. I mean, you know, the, 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 the you know, maybe you'll hit a home run and you'll find, you know, that one of those funds will have a, have a, a startup or a company that, that achieves great scale, and that, that would be great. But Ford's, you know, is Ford's additional little bit of money into that fund the, the factor that made that a success? Probably not. So 
What we really need to do is, as you say, engage the much broader conversation of how to get um, not just, you know, as you say, philanthropic assets, which even if you've got all of the endowments, you know, which are about $650 billion, still a tiny, you know, spec compared to the capital market. So that really is much the much bigger challenge. And, and, and yeah, I, think I think you're that, right about that. I think the danger is, is that by doing it this way, you actually anger the investment office, right? So rather than being like... Are they, are they that sensitive? Do they have yeah, like if feelings? You, I mean, what, what do you mean? Yeah. And what, I mean, what are we see about this, angering but, the, but the investment office? He's, he's, he's they've, already been, they've already been placated, I think, Imogen. I mean, just, oh. just to be they straight do. about it, they don't, want, they don't want what they think of these sub-market returns on their annual performance review because it'll affect their bonuses. So they wanted it out of the investment office because they don't want to be responsible for it. That's a fundamental problem, right? So... If I think that these are going to be below market returns and they're not going to that they're going to impact my performance, then yeah, Darren Walker is lost because he's not breaking down that conversation. And no, I, th I think people do have feelings. I mean, you see this a lot in the endowment space, right? You know, you have these chief investment officers at endowments. You know, they're working at like these you know colleges. They kind of see themselves as the good guys, right? Like the, th the idea is sort of like you know I could have got a job on Wall Street making cajillity dollars. Instead, I got a job in an investment office, making you know good living, but not on the same the same scale. So they see themselves as as good, smart, thoughtful people, you know. And then like you know the activists rock up, and they're telling them they're doing all these terrible things, and they are sort of the face of capital evil capitalism, and that that upsets people. You know the same thing. If I'm running the money for a foundation, I think I'm. I think I'm a good person. I'm doing a good job. I'm helping save the world. Even though you're, you're the highest paid person, the, the people that run the investment office at the Ford Foundation make you know, much more money than even the president of the Ford Foundation. Yeah, and the argument behind that is because they could go into Wall Street and right, get a job. Right, you need to pay market rates to get the compelling right. talent that you need. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. So, But I feel like you know, so I, I, I made a personal sacrifice. I feel like I'm committed to the mission. The CEO of the Ford Foundation has been there for a very long time. You're in effect, but, but by pushing these kind of people to make decisions that they don't think are, are right, and then criticizing them for that doing... They don't think are right from a, from a fiduciary-based yeah, standpoint. Yeah, from, from a fiduciary and an economic standpoint, and then criticizing them for things like investing in fossil fuels. I mean, again, the Ford Foundation was one of the supporters of the fossil fuel divestment campaign. Their investment office still invests in fossil fuels. So, so you alienate them... By, by continuing to push on these doors and criticize them without offering positive solutions. And David, now we know that uh, Imogen uh, spends her days working and talking and writing about the institutional investor uh, market, and we know that's the case because she said a billion dollars isn't really that much money, <laughs> isn't that big of a deal. Uh, but uh, in, in the context, just in the context of the overall uh, foundation space, so there's 86,000 foundations in the U.S., they have a combined total endowment asset size of $850 billion in, in assets, and they give out in grants of roughly 50 or $55 billion a year in grants. So $850 billion in assets, uh, about $50 billion in grants each year. So, so this is an acknowledgement that, yes, uh, the, 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 the grant making that foundations do is critical, and they do a lot of important work in, in funding uh, social movements and civil society and arts organizations and all the things that make uh, society healthy and well, uh, but some of the, their their larger opportunity is to influence the broader capital markets uh, and invest in long-term 
sustainable solutions to these broad challenges we face, whether it's social or economic or uh, or political or environmental challenges we face as a society, that these large institutional investors are our best hope for investing in the solutions to the, the future society. And so let's activate more of that $850 billion that, uh, that sits in the endowment of these, of these 80,000 foundations. And so does the Ford Foundation about saying, well, we're, we're putting up a billion of our capital out of that $850 billion, that we're putting that up towards this, and that's, that's a first step. And this isn't the end, but this is our big, bold first step. Is that, is that, an, an, but is that enough, or are you saying that that's just woefully insufficient? I'm saying that they're answering the wrong question, right? What is the right question? So, and maybe it's not the right question. Maybe it's just Imogen's question, right? So the question that the Ford Foundation is answering is we should align our, better align our investing with our mission. And we are doing this by taking a billion dollars and investing it that way. And their mission is fighting inequality. Yeah. And so if that, if that is what you believe, and then that is important to you, this is a huge win. But if, if your question is, what is a better and more sustainable approach to long-term investing and long-term asset ownership, then to me, they have failed in addressing that question. Now, the real, I mean, the, where we're going to see the rubber hit the road here is who do they hire, right? Like, if they start making these investments, let's, you know, let's say they start making these investments and they do really well and they pick really good managers and they start outperforming the rest of the endowment, then that is going to have, that is going to have an impact, right? Presumably the investment office might look at that's that and That's going to have like, an impact, hey. not just, in, in, not an impact in the sense that we talk about impact investing. Yeah. That's going to have an impact in the sense of it's going to cause the, the traditional investors, the, the, the traditional investment office uh, uh, folks and people in the institutional investor space to take a look and say, wait a minute, if these guys are getting outsized performance by taking this lens, that if they're having uh, uh, an alpha opportunity here on their impact, you know, somebody should also should, should come up with a, a media company that takes that concept of impact alpha. Uh, David, do you have any thoughts on that? I do, as a matter of fact, because that alpha, as you know, can be outsized social impact as well as outsized financial returns. And, you know, I, th I think Imogen's Right, except I think you do have to acknowledge that that foundations are a special case. So Imogen's right about institutional asset managers generally and 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 baking ES and G into their decision making, but foundations have to have to uh, be taken a special case because I say it all already was charitable dollars dedicated to missions. So there's not a contradiction in any way. In fact, there's a contradiction if you don't do it. My argument in terms of that money for mission. So I will say that this is where I kind of got on uh, this, this, this ride of, uh, about you know, you know, maybe 20 years ago, which was foundation, this 5% just rankled me to, to no end. Um, because the 5% because the 5%, because the 5 is a, the 5% is a minimum uh, payout. IRS minimum mandated payout from the endowments that foundations will say is all they can do. It's, because, it's the minimum, but it's also turned out to be more or less the maximum and the average. Because if they give away more than that, they will uh, spend down their endowments and eventually go out of business. And so the question about increasing that 5% as the payout, as it's called, quickly becomes a question about the perpetuity of the foundations and whether foundations, in fact, should exist forever or whether they should have gotten their bequest of money from some guy, living or dead, woman, and spend it on things that will have the highest impact. And in fact, here's the argument. 
the returns for the future, you know, saving it for the future so you can spend out, that's not where the growth in philanthropy comes from. The growth in philanthropy comes from new wealth created and new foundations created because of economic prosperity. And economic prosperity depends in some part, you could argue, on there being an active philanthropic sector that seed funds these innovative solutions to big challenges with its more charitably intended dollars. And that that then generates you know, all kinds of, of, of well-being and prosperity. And you know, the, the proof in the pudding is that the largest foundation, Ford's the second largest, has been around since Henry Ford, obviously. But the largest is the Gates Foundation, which has only been around you know, for the last 10 or 15 years because of new wealth that's created. And there's now more wealth coming down the pike from the Zuckerbergs and, 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 and the Benioffs and, and everybody else. And so, um, so the growth in, in, in foundation assets comes from being effective at social impact. That's what its deliverable is. So you're and then you attract more people to give more money, and you and the and the philanthropic sector grows, not because they're better asset managers than the than the, than the guy down the street. But but isn't it? It's just to play devil's advocate. Isn't the counter uh, argument is that uh, you know there's a need for for civil society. There's a need for these nonprofits that are uh, a check on civil society. They either provide the advocacy work, or they they do the the, the human service work, or they they provide the arts uh, work, where they do all this kind of critical gaps that there's not a market for. And so we need a sustainable revenue source and revenue stream for all the great work of the 1.2 million nonprofits in the U.S. And therefore, we need to have our endowments of our foundations working uh, and, and earning as much money as possible so they can continue uh, the good work uh, that they finance uh, through their, their endowment uh, returns. But David's argument is that there is no need for them to be there in perpetuity, that somebody can step up to the plate who is not the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation's job is not to keep the Ford Foundation around forever and ever and ever. The Ford Foundation's job is to serve society today. So they should be less concerned about preserving their capital and more concerned about activating their capital to change society now for creating for the future. But, but I will say this to your point, Imogen, by arguing that, you're effectively conceding that, the, that a more impact-driven investment strategy would actually run the endowment down and cause the Ford Foundation to go out of business, which, to your point about wanting to prove out the new uh, models for the financial markets, would be a negative lesson so no because it depends how you some middle ground where we're we're, we're, we're we're not sacrificing no returns. but that um, it's not about sacrificing returns it's about risk right it's about how much risk do you take if they take riskier bets and they are less concerned about downside protection then yeah the chances are that they are going to wind down the foundation over the long term but they might also make some great investments Right, like it's not—it's not, it's not uh, saying. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think I agree with you. <laughs> this is right. That is uh, the end of our podcast. That's the now. end of our podcast. And I think, I think we, uh, we just—I uh, think we're large and we contain, capital. we contain multitudes. That's, that's yeah. Risk averse capital. Uh, I, I think it's also about how do we get uh, different types of capital working in connection with other types of capital uh, towards common goals, and so. And my point is, this doesn't do it, right? That rather than have the points of capital work together, it's creating another silo, siloing off a whole pool of capital. So David, end us on a, on a high note here, on a hopeful note uh, for the Ford Foundation. Is this, is this a, 
Uh, is they this... would just propose that the Ford Foundation should go out of business. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say this though. I would. I will go back to. I will go back to uh, to Darren Walker, who I think uh, uh, we should. We, we will end with a tip of the hat because if you recall that uh, that that talk uh, back a year ago, um, he said we you know we must change fundamentally, particularly for foundation asserting that they're about tackling inequality. And he said very self-critically, you know, we are woefully, woefully failing. So um, uh, at least I think the, the, the takeaway is, you know, he's trying to um, uh, uh, make some changes and he's trying to move the ball forward and it leads to the next uh, set of questions and this next set of challenges. I, I think, yeah, I think if, if the goal is to really solve and address the critical issues of the future, and that requires us working with new structures and new models and new ways of thinking uh, than we've had in the past, then I think that this is an important step. Uh, but it's, it's, it's maybe necessary, but perhaps, Imogen, to your point, not sufficient. But this is still a pretty bold announcement, and it will be interesting to see how it plays out and the ripple effects uh, among other funders, other endowments, but also, in, to your point, Imogen, other institutional investors. And can, can this uh, bold step... Uh, help influence the behavior uh, of how other asset managers think about the way that they uh, manage assets for the long term. And with that, that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, David. Thank you. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. For more on the impact investing market, Subscribe to Impact Alpha's daily email newsletter, The Brief. You can get that at impactalpha.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Impact Alpha and email us at info at impactalpha.com. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. On behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rosemith, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking with you again soon.